everybody, this is Jimmy Smith, and today on the MMA on Sirius XM podcast, Dean Thomas and Anthony Smith discuss the likelihood of John Jones returning at the end of the year and what a matchup with Stipe Miocic might look like on MMA Today. And on Unlocking the Cage, I discuss what the landscape might be like at 145 if Alexander Volkanovsky moves up to take on the winner of Charles Oliveira and Islam Makachev at UFC 280. We're going to talk about some John Jones stuff. In fact, we're going to start off with some John Jones stuff because rumors have it that he might be making a return December, in December. For UFC, it is 281, 282. UFC 282. John Jones, hopeful to make a comeback. Ariel Hawani first reported this, and we actually have sound on that. If uh, Kelly can roll that for me. The fight that they want is him versus Francis Ngannou. I don't think Francis is going to be available by December 10th. I don't think they'll get a deal done with him. I don't think he'll be 100% healthy after the knee surgery by December 10th. So their plan B is, hey, we got John ready to go. You got to strike when that iron is hot. Let's do John versus Stipe. There aren't a lot of fights that will get Stipe excited. He's a full-time firefighter now. Maybe this is the one. And I'm told that that's kind of moving at a snail's pace right now. But John, at least right now, let's see what happens when you got to put pen to paper, is down for that date. There you have it. Trying to get John and Stipe. Now, who better to talk John Jones than a man who actually stood across the cage from him, who probably should be champ now because John Jones cheated in order to win. And that is my man all the way coming from Nebraska. Anthony Smith, what's up, big dog? What's up, my guy? How we doing? I'm good, man. It's good to hear you. Uh, man, I thought we're breaking rules here. We're breaking yeah. rules. What are the rules? I thought we weren't going to talk about John Jones until he was actually going to fight. That is a rule, but you know what? Kelly was like, yo, I don't care. I don't, you know, I, I, Kelly's always like, uh, you know, I'm team Anthony. Um <laughs> You know, I, I'm Team Anthony. I, I don't really want to mess with John Jones, and but every time she gets an opportunity, we're that is talking true. about John Jones. And, and topic A, to be exact, topic A, John Jones, all because of Kelly. Man, I was running a little late, and she was like, "Anthony, where are you at? You like you're gonna be here on time? We got to talk about John Jones." I, I don't, I don't know what it is with Kelly and John Jones. <laughs> and and I guess assume you was trying to be late on purpose just so you could avoid talking about this conversation. I see that's that's exactly why I was like because I don't honestly I think that between John and Stipe they're both mm -hmm. so difficult to negotiate with I bet it doesn't happen by December I don't think it happens either like what makes anybody think that this would happen that's like around the corner like December in terms of like these veteran type guys especially the ones that are really difficult to negotiate with December is like tomorrow that's like asking a dude to fight tomorrow yeah it's I'm I hate being the bearer of bad news guys but Stipe is is a great guy. He's a friend of mine. He's, you know, like we 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 have a lot of mutual friends and and you know, we're around each other a lot. But every fight that he has is a negotiation. Just you could have Stipe in a hundred fight deal. He's gonna renegotiate every single time. <laughs> he's in in his mind, he's in one fight deals. So Anthony, you gotta explain this to me because I never really got 
the understanding of why fighters do this. And and I know, be, like, I mean, I came up in a generation where we were just like, all right, whatever, you know. I mean, I'm used to not, you know, making no money at all. So I was just happy to get paid. Oh, we, oh, we get paid for this? Yeah, that's <laughs> what I'm saying. So, like, as long as the check cleared, I was like, I'm good. So I don't understand the mentality of these guys that sign these multi-fight deals. They have their deal. And then when it comes around to actually fight, they want to renegotiate. Can you maybe give me some insight as to what's going on in their goddamn heads? Because I don't know. Hey, that, just listen, to be honest, some of that's on the UFC um, because they're allowing them to do that. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, I think it kind of started when you guys that are in these, these long, you know, eight, 10 fight deals. And then, you know, one fight, they fight once, they fight twice, and then bam, they, they get hit with like a, a, a Connor opportunity or a Masvidal opportunity or something that's really, really big and, and they know is going to sell and they know it's going to be popular. And so they're like, well, I'm not going to fight that on my regular deal. I want more money. This one's different. So I think that's where it started. Um, and then when you get into the realm of guys like Stipe and John, and they just want, they want more because from the time they sign their deal till the next time they fight is they're either significantly more popular or the person they're fighting is a bigger fight or there's more buzz around it. If you're Stipe, you signed this deal when you were getting ready to fight Francis or you were fighting, I don't know, whoever, DC or, or whatever. Uh, a Stipe John Jones fight is significantly larger than a Stipe Daniel Cormier fight. Uh, uh, a Stipe John Jones fight is bigger than Stipe and Ganu 3. Um, that's, that's just the basic facts of it. I don't think too many people would argue that. So if you sign the deal with the intention of, of it being in that realm of guys, whether you're, you're, you're Daniel Cormier's, your Francis Ngannou's, your Derek Lewis's, you're like in, in kind of that area of popularity. And then you get an opportunity to fight John. I, you know, I get it. You're going to, you're going to make the UFC more money. It's going to be significantly more popular. So you want more money. And I think that's kind of where it starts. I mean, to me, I mean, I get it because like you can outperform your contract and I understand that, but I don't know, man. It just, it just seems to be such a black eye on the sport and for fighters when they do that, because, and you're right. Like if the UFC allowed it a few times, then now they kind of have to allow for everybody because people talk and that's the problem, especially fighters. Fighters is told every, they done told everybody, Hey, telephone, telegram or tell a fighter. Yo, <laughs> exactly. They, as soon as yo, they gave they gave me an extra fifty G's in order to fight this dude. So you know that it was like word for real. I remember when um when when Sage Northcutt first got signed, and he had signed for like forty grand or whatever, and and I remember the the managers in the back were like, "Oh my god!" And everybody was just sitting there talking about this. I'm like, "How the hell did this news get out that this man just?" Signed for 40 grand. And, but for whatever reason it was, man, like everybody knew because you can't tell a fight of shit because they're going to, they're going to tell the entire world, man. It's crazy. It's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. And there is some things the fighters don't tell people. There is, there is. And, and I've pulled the curtain back on it on the show before and I'll do it again right now. What, when you're talking, when you're looking at the top five, the top 10 guys, there's a whole lot of money getting, getting passed around. Mm-hmm. Um, that nobody sees the only money that anybody sees as far as the commissions that release those numbers is whatever's on the bout agreement. When you get into these top guys, there's a lot of other money that's getting made um, outside of our bout agreements. I, now I believe that for sure, because that's the reason why these guys are obviously 
which is weird and don't want to fight these other guys. Yeah, which which is weird because you don't ever hear anybody say shit about that. <laughs> like no one's ever talking about uh, the other money that's coming in. So it's I don't know. It's weird to me. And it is true. Now, now for John Jones, like he hasn't fought in what it's been like three years. Now, first off, I got to I mean, because I do have you here and I never talked to you about this. Um, preparing for for John Jones, what was that like for you? Getting ready for John Jones, going out there and then just seeing him across the across the octagon. What was that like for you? Man, it wasn't any different, really. Um, he he doesn't have a, a a lot of holes in his game because honestly, John doesn't do a lot. Exactly. So he he doesn't do a lot at all. So he he's not super active. And if you take each individual skill that John Jones possesses and you you strip it away from him and then only let him compete with that skill, he probably doesn't beat anybody in the top 10. Mm -hmm. he, he's like, he's a good wrestler. Like he, John Jones probably beat me in a collegiate wrestling match. Outside of that, if we're just talking one skill at a time, John doesn't possess any skill that's significantly better than mine. You know, he's not going to out, he's not going to beat me in a jujitsu match. You know what I mean? He's not going to, outstrike me in just a pure kickboxing match or boxing match it's just not gonna happen it, it's the way that he puts those things together it's it's his fight iq a lot of people argue that his fight iq is is super super high um and i will always push back on that argument because i was in there with him john's not a thinker and i don't think anybody uh out there is going to argue that with me either he's just he's he's not a thinker if he was a thinker he wouldn't have gotten himself into a lot of the shit that he has <laughs> true so John is coachable and he's extremely trusting in the people um, that, that train him. So your Brandon Gibson's, your Greg Jackson's, your Winkle John's, you know, the, those people, he really, really believes uh, in his team. And which is why he's kind of a, he, he obsesses over his opponents, you know, to the point of making him crazy, but it's, it's because he believes in his coaches. So he just wants to, he wants to have everything right and, and see it, but he, he listens really well in there, which is really odd. Like when we were fighting, if his coaches weren't talking or weren't giving instructions, John isn't doing anything. He's, he's almost in a holding pattern. John's holding pattern is kind of that, that forward kind of March, uh, where he lifts his lead leg a lot. Mm -hmm. And he, yeah. he, he, his, his holding pattern, he goes to that, his check down is teep to the body, you know, side oblique kick, some spinning shit, uh, and then reset. And then he just keeps going back through that process over and over and over again until his coaches feel like they found an opportunity for John to do something. And then they'll call, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll call for stuff and then he'll start doing it. But um, yeah, it's weird, man. You don't really feel like you're in a fight. I, I didn't really feel like I was in a fight. He neutralized me really well. Um, he's uh, on film and maybe how he's broken down. He's got a, he, he's got a really long reach and, and his distance management is a problem. Everything from the waist up is a total non-issue. Um, yeah, he can have he could you could give him another ten inches of reach is not going to make it's not going to make a difference. Um, he doesn't utilize his eighty-four and a half inch reach. He doesn't have power in his hands. He, he didn't sting me one single time. He, I was actually super surprised at how not powerful John Jones is. Um, it's waist down is the problem. Uh, yeah. his his front kicks, his linear attacks, it, the variance in them. It's it, he never lets you settle to the point where you, you know, you see this a lot where something will happen in exchange and then the fighters kind of all circle out. They set their feet, 
and then they start going again. He never gives you that opportunity. It's every single time you feel like you want to reset, you have something else to deal with. It's that's a, a oblique kick to the front. And then so you circle out. And then as soon as you get ready to set, he'll hit you with the front kick to the body. And then as soon as you get ready to reset, it's a spin. And it, it's it's you, you're never set and ready to go. And, that, and that's the problem. Well, you see, like when I analyze John as a fighter, I look at him and I say, here's a guy, like you said, his reach, like his, his reach is a problem. And especially with his legs, because he has those long legs. So when I look at him, I go, all right, his legs are a problem. And then the fact that he has a bunch of hacks, like a bunch of like fight hacks that can change the course of a fight. Like, like you said, the oblique kick, things that'll just damage you. So you always have they're, to be careful just annoying. Yeah. And, yeah or like, just annoying. or his elbows, like he'll elbow you and you're like, damn, I got to worry about this now. So it's, so you're right. Like he's no Volkanovsky in terms of fight no. IQ. It's just, he's long with a bunch of hacks. Right. Now, well, and, and his, his distance management is all lower body. Yeah. All lower right, body. Like right. go back and look at John's Instagram. Like for anybody listening, if you want to argue with me and say, no, nah, John Jones is a great striker. He's super tech. No, he's not. No, he's not. And John Jones never even claimed that he is. John Jones couldn't box his way through an amateur fucking heavyweight tournament if he had to, if his life depended on it. He just I can't. Right. But he can manage range with his feet better than anybody I've ever been in front of. It, it, it's And that's not just the way he moves. It's it's the attacks. It's the lower body attack that he can take from your head to your body to your legs. He'll stomp your fucking toes. It, it's everything is waist down. And then the, the distance that he moves, uh, if you look at his body, he's built really funny. He's all legs. Yeah, so that's what I'm going to say. He's all legs. He's all legs. And he doesn't, he's not even good enough of a striker to have a style that he has to fight out of one stance. If you watch him, again, if anybody thinks I'm full of shit, go watch John Jones. When he's standing in southpaw, he's only kicking. That's mm -hmm. all he does. You right. rarely see John throw any punches from southpaw. When he's orthodox, he's rarely, he's, he's rarely kicking from orthodox. He's only boxing, which is why he doesn't fight orthodox that much. But when someone attacks him, he's so comfortable because he's so not stuck in one stance because he's not high enough level in that stance that he'll switch his feet and backstep. So he covers distance twice as fast as you can go forward moving backwards. So it, like I could go all day on, on John Jones, but my point is it, it's a problem, but you don't realize what exactly the problems are until you're already in there. And then by that time, it's a little too late because too now fucking you're, late. You're, you're trying to fight him. So I, that's what I'm thinking. That if you had another opportunity to fight him, you mm -hmm. would, you would absolutely take that. And you, you would, what would you think? There's nothing I would do the same. Right. There's not right. one thing I would take from the first fight that I would, do or focus on going into the second. So you would completely adjust, readjust your strategy. Hundred percent. I was. I thought his takedowns were going to be better. So I think we wasted a lot of time on takedown defense. Um, he ended up getting some. I think in ten attempts he got two, but he wasn't comfortable enough in his jujitsu to even grapple with me. So focusing so much on the wrestling part of it, uh, I think was a huge waste of time. Um. I think we've, I think we wasted a lot of time on dealing with his attacks from his waist up um, and, and managing his reach because uh, he doesn't use it. So I wait, I spent more time on it than he does. <laughs> so, yeah. um, you know, all of that stuff I would throw away, not throw away, but I, I wouldn't, I, I would have keyed in on that. So what do you, so in terms of if he were to fight um, Stipe, what do you think the chances, what do you think Stipe's chances are? Like, you think Stipe would be able to game plan well enough to beat and get around that reach 
and do his thing against John. Yeah, you got you got to box John in, and you got to force him to. You, you got to take away his his creativity. And honestly, after seeing Stipe recently, I like his chances against John Jones a lot better because um, you have to be big, and that's that's some of my problem. I think I had too. John is a massive man. He, yeah, he's, he's really, really big. He's got a presence so big. about him. Yeah, he is. He's and, and he's wide. Like, you know, he's kind of shaped like a triangle from his shoulders down to his waist. It, it's he shrinks significantly from in that distance. So when we weighed in and we faced off, I didn't really see it. But then when he stepped in the octagon, he was crazy big, like really big. So Stipe there for a, lot, a long time was getting real lean and smaller and whatever. But I've seen him recently. And I, that motherfucker's like. 255 260 just stone he is so so i don't know so strong right now um so i like that i like that for stipe a lot uh i think stipe is a far a way good enough boxer um to deal with john there and and stipe's got different type of power with different type of speed and he's mobile um so i, I like stipe's chances significantly better than i like francis oh man i i hope the other guys in the ufc heavyweight division don't hear me say this but i think that I think that uh, there's only a couple guys that really are going to present any problems for John Jones. I think there's two that in, in the heavyweight division in the whole division. Wow. I think there's only two. I think that's Cyril Gone mm-hmm. and Stipe. I think he gets out of a Francis and Gone fight without a mark on his face. Now, how, how so? I, I, he's 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 just too quick. He's too he's savvy. okay. He's smart. He's super experienced. Um, and he's hard to hit. He really is. You kind of go yeah. back and the only guys who've really been able to touch him are guys like Gustafson way back in the day. Um, uh, God damn it. Dominic Reyes a little bit. Um, but guys like guys who are really good at finding a shot weren't able to do it. Like I've always prided myself on being able to get to anybody's chin. Now, do they always go down? Not always, but I've always been able to get to it. Um, and I couldn't with John. So uh, Francis is not super technical he's super explosive but he's predictable he's always gonna move forward he's always it's, it's gonna be straightforward and straight back Gustafson's different because he would go bop 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 and he'd, he'd roll under something he'd hit an angle and then he'd be right back at it Francis ain't gonna do that because he's used to putting guys out with one shot I just think that John is gonna make it boring he's gonna clinch Francis he's gonna push him up against the fence he's gonna slow him down he's gonna weigh on him um, and he's gonna match him physically is he gonna look like Francis Ngannou not at all but I think they're going to weigh the same. I think that they're going to, or at least close enough. Um, and John is as long, as big, as wide as Francis Ngannou. Is he as strong? I don't think so, but he doesn't, he's functionally strong. He probably doesn't lift as much as Francis does, but he's, he's going to feel like he's even in that strength realm because of his leverage and his understanding of how to move body. So I think it's a super boring fight, mm-hmm. but I think that's the way that John has to make it. Uh, to be successful, and, and I wouldn't fault him for that. Yeah, I don't know if Francis has a speed. You know, I mean, when you think about the guys who really were able to get to him, they possessed a little bit of speed, enough speed in order to kind of let their hands fly when they were getting close, when they got close enough to him. Like Tiago Santos was able to get close to him and let his hands go. So, um, yeah, and you know, Francis may not have the speed for that, he's got the power, but may not have the speed. Yeah, if, if he touches him. I think John goes out just like everybody else. Yeah, for sure. And that's and that has not that's not saying anything on John. That's just 
Yeah. That's just basic physics. <laughs> and and John probably knows that too, which is probably why he will never allow Francis to get close enough to touch him. Busted Open is your daily home for all things pro wrestling. Join Dave LaGreca, WWE Hall of Famers, Bully Ray and Mark Henry, and hardcore wrestling legend Tommy Dreamer. Dave LaGreca here. From WWE to AEW, Impact, New Japan, Ring of Honor, and more, we talk it all. Whether you grew up watching Ric Flair or Stone Cold Steve Austin, Busted Open is your place for pro wrestling. Busted Open, Mondays through Saturdays at 9 a.m. East on Fight Nation, Sirius XM Channel 156. Let's assume we can um, we can take Dana White at his word that the next title fight at 155 will go to Alexander Volkanovsky, the current 145-pound king, and, of course, the current pound-for-pound um, uh, pound king in the UFC. So he's paid his dues. He... Um, you know, he uh, has dominated everyone at 145. There aren't any real contenders. So it begs the question that I will now answer. What does he do? What does the 145-pound division, how does Dana White handle a 145-pound division without Alexander Volkanovsky? The difficulty is it is a wiped out. Absolutely. Wiped out 145 that he will inherit. So when you look at it that way, look at the rankings. You have number one, Alexander Volkanovsky. He moves up to 55. I am making the assumption that I believe is very, very fair that he never comes back down to 145. Oh, he can just keep defending it. I, some fighters say they're going to. It's It's the idea that this is like... I don't know, man. An alcoholic drinking again? Like, it's hard to go back. All right? Hard to go back. If you're disciplined, Kelly's like, I've never had the discipline to, to not drink, let alone not drink and then go back to drinking and not drinking again. Right. Once your body realizes what it's like getting that extra 10 pounds, that extra 15 pounds, it is hard to go back. Killed Roy Jones Jr. Going to heavyweight and then light heavyweight. Ruined his career. Didn't have the reflexes anymore. Took too much out of him. Blah, 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 blah. Your body just adjusts to having the ability to have that extra 10 pounds, and your body won't go back to where it was. It won't do it. So Alexander Volkanovsky is your champion at 145. Your number one contender is Max Holloway. He's wiped him out three times. Second one was close. First one was not. Third one was not at all. So Max Holloway is your number one contender. He is not on Volkanovsky's. He's not Volkanovsky's peer at 145. It's as close as it gets. He's not as good as Volko. Yair Rodriguez. Okay, good fighter. He's had his share of wins. We know about the highlight reel knockout over Korean Zombie. That's great. But uh, lost to Max Holloway. Brian Ortega has lost to both Max Holloway and Alexander Volkanovsky. And neither fight was close. So he's in it. He's your number three guy. He's not the champ. Not the legitimate number one guy at 145. And the one thing I want you to keep in mind as you listen to me break all this down is what you want as a promoter is your champion is the undisputed number one fighter at that weight class in the world, period. That, that's your ideal. And when anyone in MMA can say that you may have gold, 
but you're not the number one guy, you have a problem. The bronze around your waist doesn't mean anything, okay? It means zero. It's if it, 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 it's the fact that it represents you being the number one fighter in that weight class in the world. And when you don't, when people can say you may have gold, but you're not number one, that title becomes meaningless, and you don't want that as a promotion. All right? You don't want that as a fighter. Keep that in mind. So for our top three contenders, Max Holloway, Yair Rodriguez, Brian Ortega, Alexander Volkanovsky has wiped out two out of three of them. He just hasn't faced Yair Rodriguez yet, but Yair Rodriguez has lost to Max Holloway. We see how he's a level below Alexander Volkanovsky. So um, after that, it's Calvin Cater. Once again, wiped out by Max Holloway. Um, I'm, I'm sorry, didn't go over Josh Emmett. Josh Emmett at number four. He's the next one in line. If right now, if Dana White were to say, okay, we're having a title fight at 145, it's got to be Josh Emmett versus Alexander Volkanovsky. He's the only one in the top five that Alexander uh, Volkanovsky and Max Holloway haven't faced and therefore defeated. So Josh Emmett coming off a win against Calvin Cater would take on 145-pound champ Alexander Volkanovsky. Bear in mind, Josh Emmett would probably have to be part of any title beyond Alexander Volkanovsky. It would have to include Josh Emmett. He's the only guy on a streak. Uh, he's the only guy right now that's, that's you know, untested against the elite of the elite. And he's the only one. Number five, Calvin Cater, of course, last fight out, lost to Josh Emmett. So he's got to recover a little bit. All right? And then after that, it's Korean Zombie. He's not really a contender. Arnold Allen might be there eventually. He's not there yet. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. That's really your top five. Okay? So when you look at it that way, um, yeah, and then Calvin Cater, of course, booked against Arnold Allen. We know that. But your top five are are fighters that have always, already fought either Max Holloway or Alexander Volkanovsky. The only exception is Josh Emmett. How do you make a number one fighter out of this? If Alexander Volkanovsky leaves the 145-pound division, which, you know, in my estimation, once he, once he leaves, he doesn't come back. How do you make a champion out of these leftovers? Sure, you can have any two of them fight, and the winner is now your champion. For argument's sake, uh, Josh Emmett take. And I, you know, I think it's I think it's it's Josh Emmett right now at number four. Josh Emmett taking on uh, for argument's sake, he's the number two guy. Let's say Max Holloway. Josh Emmett versus Max Holloway, the winner is your champion. Whoever wins will be stuck with the label of second best to Alexander Volkanovsky. That's it. The win a victorious Max Holloway. Oh, I can beat Alexander Volkanovsky. Dude, he beat you three times. No, you can't beat Alexander Volkanovsky. Josh Emmett is your hope. You always want, whenever a champion leaves, you always want your next champion to be someone the champ has not faced. That's what you want. That's your ideal. Okay, as I said with John Jones, the fact that Jan Blahovich was the next champion was very important for the UFC. They were able to move past John Jones. Jan Blahovich never fought John Jones and therefore never lost to John Jones. Their current champ, Giri Prohaska, never fought and never lost to John Jones. You can move past him. Okay, move past him. So when you see these things, all right, 
That's your ideal. That's what you really want to do. Josh Emmett is the only guy that hasn't lost to Max Holloway, hasn't beaten Alexander Volkanovsky. I'm sorry, uh, hasn't lost to Alexander Volkanovsky. So he's the guy you want to be champion. The problem is he's number four. I think it leaves kind of a wasteland of a division where there are some up-and-comers, right? Bryce Mitchell, Arnold Allen. Okay, should he get past Calvin Cater? There's some people coming up that are extremely interesting. Mosar Ivluev, excellent fighter, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Okay? Ilya Tapuria has shown some, some um, flashes of, of potential greatness. Okay? I think it leaves behind a really wrecked division if Alexander Volkanovsky leaves. KOB, what do you think of that? It's, it's kind of a wasteland without Volk. Because Volk and Max, man, they beat everybody on the way up. They were both fighters, fighters, and they beat everybody. It's true. It would be a little bit of a wasteland, but I almost feel like it, they almost need a reset at Featherweight to try to get someone up there that you can get excited about uh, Volk fighting. I mean, there's really no one. Emmett, I suppose, and, and Cater, but, like, are you truly amped for that fight? I don't think so. Like, give him some time to really work, and let's see who kind of emerges as, as, as the guy for a comeback for Volk. But I think that's exactly the point. Like, Jimmy doesn't think he's going to come back. So I don't like think he'll come all back. All of these guys you're going to think, think about Volkanovski. I, I do, too. Back. Who has? Is he came back? No, is he lost? Still, I think if he loses, I, he comes I, back. I don't think a victorious Alexander Volkanovski goes. I'm assuming he wins and moves on is what I'm saying. If he loses, sure, he can come back. Who has won and come back and defended? Amanda Nunes is the only one because the, the division didn't really exist. Yeah. None of them did, I, folks. You can rack your brain if you want. I'm telling you, none of them did. None of them did. I think Volk would be none the first. I, I think he's coming back. When, even once that went, I am defending two belts. I am going to – went, gee, man, this extra 10 pounds is a lot of fun. And it's not good for your body going back and forth. It's not. It's really bad for you. I don't think uh, Volk – if Volk is victorious, he doesn't do it. And the bigger money fights are 55. When when Dana White says, I'll pay you X at 55 and X at 45, and X at 55 is a lot bigger, you're not going back down. History's on my side, Kibbe. Sure, he could be the first. He could be the first, but history's on my side. They don't do that. They don't. I think he's going back down. That's my belief. Even off a victory. Now, if this might be a moot point, I don't think Volkanovski beats no, either Oliver or this way. Would, would you still consider this going back down? Let's say he fights another fight at 155, directly after winning the 55-pound belt, and wins that one, and then goes back. Would you consider that defending the belt? No. If, if, he, if he wins the title at 55, he doesn't go back down to 45, unless uh, he gets wiped out at 55 in a couple fights or something. If you're successful at the higher weight class – Fighters stay there. They just, hey, man, it's better to keep this extra 10 pounds and not bounce around. They don't. We, we haven't seen it ever in MMA history. Haven't seen I it. St- I still believe he goes back down there because I think he's more of a 45er than he is a 55er. Frankie all these Edgar other guys, was the ultimate, yeah, but, but he won yeah, but and stayed at 55. All these other guys, you could tell that they were cutting a lot of weight to make that class. Like, how much of a skeleton Conor McGregor looked like at 45 when he would weigh in? Oh, they look terrible. Like, that's why they. That's why they move up most of the time. Yeah, yeah. that's that's what I'm saying. I, I, it's not for me. I, I don't think Volk is doing this for a weight reason. I think he's doing it for a legacy reason. And I think he comes back down to 45 to keep the legacy going there. He doesn't strike it's, me as a type. Who, he does not strike me as a type who's going to drop the belt and then just like, all right, cool, I'm done with 45. I'll just be at 55 now. You think he bounces up and down and defends both? Dramatically, like I said, I wouldn't be surprised if he stuck around 55 for maybe one more and then went back down, but I think he goes back down. 
We'll see. I mean, there are a lot of obstacles here. Number one, he has to win at 55 against arguably the best 55-pounder of this era, meaning post-Khabib, right? Either Islam Makhachev or Charles Oliveira. Um, that's tough as it is. So he's got to beat those guys and then defend the title, I imagine, at least once before even considering going back down. But, you know, Frankie Edgar, when I interviewed him last week, he said, look, I wasn't big enough to fight, but I was winning. So why would I? Right? I'm, I'm big enough and I'm winning. Okay, why, why would I cut weight if I don't absolutely have to? I think when it comes to Volkanovski, if he's successful, he stays at 55. If he loses, which I think is most likely, then he'll probably come back down to 45. But you know, a loss is, is the most likely scenario at 55. He knows it. I know it. The odds makers. Not that he can't win, but the odds are certainly stacked against him. He's facing some great 155 pounds. MMA on SiriusXM is part of the SiriusXM Sports Podcast Network. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please give a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe today wherever you stream your podcast. Plus, catch Unlocking the Cage weekdays from 2 to 5 p.m. Eastern and MMA Today Tuesday to Thursday from 12 to 2 p.m. Eastern on SiriusXM Fight Nation, channel 156, and on the SXM app. Serious XM Podcasts.